This is a long-term thing. You can't suddenly switch advocacy on and suddenly everybody's getting, you know, thousands of likes and, uh, you know, tens of thousands of followers. Um, it takes time to build up uh, credibility and uh, an, an audience. Hello and welcome to Masters of Comms, the podcast where transformative communication techniques straight from the pros. In the next episode, our guest will share his recommendations on how to scale an employee advocacy program to a global workforce. I'm Lamar Williams, host of Masters of Comms, as well as head of partnerships at Sociable. And today I'm accompanied by our guest from Capgemini, Joe Morris, head of social media and employee advocacy. Hello, Joe, and welcome to Masters of Comms. Hi, Lamar, and thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great to have you as well. Joe, would you mind taking just a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So hello, I'm Joe Morris. Um, as you said, I'm head of social media and employee advocacy at Capgemini. I have actually been at Capgemini for uh, over, I just passed my 25-year anniversary, which is uh, astonishing um, and makes me feel ancient. I've been working in content and media and storytelling and digital uh, in different forms, pretty much from day one at Capgemini. And I'm from London, but I'm based in Atlanta. Fantastic. And tell us a little bit about Capgemini. What does Capgemini do exactly? That's a good question. Capgemini is a leading digital transformation. So we're a very big technology services consulting company uh, headquartered in France. Today we have about 365,000 employees with clients all over the globe. So Joe, let's jump right in. What I was thinking about is in these changing economic times, we're seeing a shift in corporate dynamics to adopt new media formats in order to attract a variety of audiences. And with traditional company landing pages and websites diminishing online traffic, many corporations have turned to employee advocacy. Maybe you could describe why it was important for Capgemini to invest in an EA program. Well, I would say it's not really down to changing economic times. Of course, economics play into it in terms of budgets and people's willingness to spend um, on certain things. But really, uh, lastly, at least, it's it's driven more by changes in uh, in technology and changes in, I would say, user wants and needs and expectations. As you said, the kind of traditional channels, uh, digital channels, their impact is diminishing. You know, corporate organic social uh, still plays a very important role. But that role, I think, is changing significantly. I think we are moving from... You know, social media started off as a social form of communication, right? It's about connecting people. And then with, uh, as enterprises started uh, getting on board, it became more about, at least from an enterprise perspective, uh, broadcast. So broadcast channel, um, sending out links, driving traffic, uh, downloads, leads, etc. Uh, which is all fine, but I think now the platforms themselves, and especially for us, a B2B company, um, LinkedIn is super important impact that we can have with those corporate organic pages, company pages is diminishing. Uh, the algorithm is actively against us to some extent today. So we are not able to make the same impact. And at the same time, you know, this is. I hear it like almost every day now, but, uh, you know, people want to buy from people. And so it's getting back to that, that social connection. So for us, uh, employee advocacy is a way of driving, driving intimacy really with our target audience, taking advantage of our employees' networks, their personal connections, 
to inform people about the, the topics that are important to, to Capgemini and uh, topics that are important to our audiences and you know, where we think things are going. Um, so that's why we're shifting away from, uh, or at least uh, shifting um, priorities from uh, sort of corporate organic to advocacy, because it is, again, it's about reaching people and making a real impact one-to-one. And based off of your investment in your program, you were just talking about investment. So can you address whether this has had an effect on your paid organic communications? Well, as I said, you know, priorities are shifting in terms of investment in organic so time and resource, right? That, that we are slowly shifting advocacy from appearing to be just a, uh, another channel to actually the, the, the best way that we can, we can go to market, the best way, the best use of social media that we can make. So the investment is beginning to shift and uh, that's a, a slow process. Uh, in terms of paid, I think, uh, again, it's shifting, but, it, but in the opposite direction. So I, I think as we kind of s- stop relying quite so heavily on organic corporate organic, then corporate paid needs to take a, a front role. And I think it's really important that paid and advocacy work very closely together. So so yeah, things are, are shifting for sure. Glad to hear that. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was possibly providing us with some, some of your initial goals or objectives that you put in place for your EA program. How did they evolve over time as you scaled to even more employees? Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, one thing I should say is that, that I was responsible for initiating the program. So I want to make sure that I'm not taking credit for that. I, I think, you know, back in 2013, I think it was 2013 when it was launched, it was, that was a pretty forward thinking thing to do. Uh, it was not uh, common for people to be building a, a formal uh, employee advocacy program at that time. And at the time, it, it was mostly focused on amplification. And so creating an army of people, subject matter experts that can amplify our, our key messages. And while there was kind of a, a desire to kind of uh, enable people to use social media well, right, and build their presence and network, ultimately the emphasis was on amplification. And that's partly down to circumstances and, and you know, investment uh, and so on. So, so that, was, that was kind of the initial thing. And then it became about, okay, how do we scale that? So how do we add more and more and more? Which is fine, but it gets very hard to, to, to manage, particularly if you're not investing in uh, the number of people that you have to, to actually manage those people. So two years ago, we, uh, we shifted focus. So um, today, it's more about influence. As I said, it's about relationships. It's about enabling uh, our core subject matter experts to, to um, strengthen their networks, to build an audience on social, to drive conversations, influence decisions. So really, it's, you know, in some ways, it's a subtle shift. It means we're not just measuring number of times a particular piece of content got shared, um, how many impressions did it, it get. It's much more important is, and actually much harder, is measuring who did you influence, who liked your post, who uh, who uh, actually left a comment. Um, so it's not about, less about quantity and more about quality. Yes, I would completely agree with that. And in a company that has such a large footprint where language, culture, or even diversity may have an impact on the implementation of a program, how do you construct a scalable program for a global workforce? How do you overcome those challenges? Maybe were there some particular drawbacks there? You construct a scalable program with an awful lot of blood, sweat, and tears. 365,000 employees, that's a lot of people 
And you can't, I think the key thing is to not treat them as one big amorphous block. You need to segment your your employees just the same way that you should segment your audience. Because, of course, not everybody has the same role. Not everybody has the same expertise, seniority, etc. So uh, so the way that we are tackling it, because this is very much an ongoing process, is by segmenting. So focusing on senior leadership, on subject matter experts, and then further things like people working in the talent area, for instance, sales. And so just going through different uh, different topics, different communities, uh, so breaking it down that, that way. So it really is about focus your efforts basically on, on where you're going to get the biggest return. Got it. And, you know, once you've decided to implement this program, how do you, how did you communicate the importance of your program to your employees so they've understood the benefits of participating throughout your global offices? And once you've done that, how did you identify, engage, or encourage employees to participate in the program? Were there any specific criteria that you used? Communicating the importance of the program is super, super important. And and to be perfectly honest, you know, when we launched launched the, the new version of the program two years ago, it's something that we didn't uh, invest enough in. That, and this is something we sort of came to realize after sort of 12 months or so is that, that that's one thing that we didn't really do is, is communicate why. And we, I think we sort of took it for granted a little bit. Why is this good for the business, but also why is this good for you? Why is it good for you to be active on, on LinkedIn, for instance? What can that actually do for you? What kind of benefits does it, does it bring you? Why is it important to be a digital leader today? Yeah, that, that's something that the, we didn't do enough of. And also actually just interning as well, it, it, it's, you know, to kind of uh, like our marketing community, for instance, why this should be a core part of how you go to market now, the uh, key feature of your campaigns. You know, we, we didn't do enough of that, I think. And, you know, it's the kind of thing you, you kind of really realize by by doing. But also I think it's a sign, the kind of the relative sophistication of our, our new approach to advocacy, you know, we're, our, our, uh, our goals are, you know, they're quite ambitious uh, in terms of being able to change perceptions. And so we sort of underestimated or didn't appreciate how much of a, a kind of change, behavioral change program this is and the willingness to share, to be open and step out of the shadow of the branded account, right, and put it into the hands of other people. That's That can seem like a quite a risky thing to do. So, so this is something that we're sort of working to redress now, actually, by process of building more documentation guidelines so that cover you know why is this a good thing for you you know we we have kind of we've spent a bit of time to establish okay these are the kind of the four key values uh the value the, the key four key value adds uh to you as an individual of doing participating in the program for instance so we have our kind of official narrative around that and yeah this is we are investing quite a bit of time in, in documentation presentations and so on, and for and making sure that those are tailored to different audiences, different senioritys, different roles as well. So it's really important to to spend a bit of time doing that. So you just talked about the guidelines that you've implemented and the four key values that you've added. Maybe you can give us an example of what those key values are, the four, and then also how do you ensure that the content that will be shared or is shared by the employee is on brand and aligned with company values? So four values. One is about being connected, connecting with your audience, being plugged in. You know, this is part of being a digital leader, leader the importance of, 
of obviously leadership, but also the digital component of it, uh, demonstrate that you know you understand how social media works because this is this is how an awful lot of the world uh, communicates today, and especially with younger generations, it, it's super important to be able to demonstrate to them that you get it. Right? I'm not saying that means you have to suddenly start uh, sharing TikToks, but but that is really important. But then being plugged into what's going on, plugged into your network, you know, uh, being able to listen to what your audience is saying, uh, you know, what your clients are saying, what influencers are saying, thought leaders, super important. Related to that is just about being informed uh, at a basic level. What are the conversations that are happening around, you know, say generative AI, for instance, and social media is a great place uh, to uh, to read those. So that's, that's again, it's part of listening to your network and understanding what are the trends, what are the hot topics right now. I mentioned digital leadership. Leadership generally is people, I mean, forget the number, but an awful lot of candidates look at like, well, does, is the CEO active and what kind of things are they saying? And for us, it's, it's perfect form, you know, with the uh, CEO as kind of brand ambassador in chief that he or she is visible on the platforms, is active, is talking about the things that are important to the business, what our values are, our priorities, where we think the world is going, but also that they are they are active in the sense of um, they're engaging with their community. They are part of the community. They're not just, uh, it's not just a broadcast channel for them, um, but they are using it as a way to, to listen as well as talk. And then, I mean, the fourth one really is opportunity, you know, uh, just on a very personal level, uh, being active on social can bring you attention people start to understand see you as a thought leader on a particular topic as a go-to person to ask questions you know whether it's uh, driverless vehicles or machine learning or, or whatever it is right or social media and that can bring opportunities you might get invited onto a podcast like this one and you know speaking events great those are great key values and so how do you ensure that the content that is shared by your employees is on brand and aligned with those values and the company's messaging. By ruling with an iron fist. <laughs> no, I think the, the very first step is to ensure that people understand where the guardrails are, that uh, you're doing your employees a disservice if you don't tell them that, you know, if you do this kind of stuff on social media, you're going to get into trouble. So first of all, to make sure everybody's clear on what not to say, uh, so don't give away state secrets. Don't share photos of your um, your access ID for the office. Basic basic security stuff like that. But then also, you know, don't be irresponsible. Don't be rude. Uh, don't be stupid. Be respectful. Be positive. Be a positive member of your community. And it's all about ultimately being able to use social media safely and securely. You know, we want to give employees the confidence that uh, is it okay to share this? You know, they know where whether it is not or if they're not sure what to do. So, you know, we spent a lot of time building a new code of conduct for social media and then training people on it, making sure that people have done the training and that, you know, our key advocates have done the training so that we can feel secure uh, and so can they. So that's really important. And then in terms of sort of content, we give guidelines, training in terms of what's the right mix. If you're sharing content on LinkedIn, in other words, don't share just Capgemini content because nobody's really going to want to read that. And to be honest, you can just get that from the company page if they really want to. Anyway, it's about having a good balanced mix of you know personal content because I mean now LinkedIn is much more. It's not it's not Facebook, thankfully, but it, it is becoming more and more a forum for people to share uh, personal 
stories because I mean to my mind it makes absolute sense because you know what do you do in the office do you do you talk about your weekend you know when you're getting a cup of coffee do you share important milestones and things like that then you know if it's appropriate to share with your colleagues in the office then why not share with your audience because it's a, a core part of getting to know somebody and like I said before we see social is all about relationships it's all about intimacy and you're not going to get that so yeah, training on the on the mix, but then also we have everyone is divided into communities. So communities of practice, if you like, in terms of topics. And each community has a community manager and they are responsible for sharing content, the branded content and third party content suggestions for our advocates to, to share. Uh, and so, you know, those community managers are pretty well schooled in what is okay and what is not okay to share and you know what what does a good post look like and stuff like that. But it's also about educating the advocates themselves directly on uh, what does good look like on LinkedIn, the algorithm, right? What does the algorithm like today? It changes all the time. Uh, so we we invest in staying on top of that and making sure that, that uh, our employees understand it as well. That's great feedback. And from an organization that's had more than 10 years of uh, experience in this area, being that you launched in 2013, maybe you could talk about what strategies did you put in place to ensure your engagement program would last for the long term? That's a, a tough question. I think the, the key thing is being agile, nimble in your approach so that, okay, what is, it's the same thing as the algorithm training, right? It's understanding what works today, but, and not assuming that that's going to work forever. Um, and being, being able to, you know, we spend an awful lot of time looking at what is working and what isn't, uh, why this group of people not responded, why are they not active? What's gone wrong? How do we need to, uh, to change? Um, and so, you know, we have a model, but that model is a living, breathing thing. It changes, it evolves it grows and I, I think that's that's the key thing really i mean because you know we could in terms of the actual people the individuals of course those people are going to change over time over a 10-year period right some of them are going to leave some of them are going to change roles so you can't you can't pin it all on long-term working long-term with those people necessarily although obviously uh, that is the ideal and you know there's one thing super important for people to understand is this is a long-term thing you can't suddenly switch advocacy on and suddenly everybody's getting you know, thousands of likes and, uh, you know, tens of thousands of followers. Um, it takes time to build up uh, credibility and uh, an, an audience. But so it's really about making sure that your model can adjust as, as, uh, uh, as the, the environment you're working adjusts. Great information to know. And I think you were talking about metrics just a minute ago. So what metrics did you use to measure the success of your program? And uh, is there any technology that plays a role in the management or measurement of employee participation and the success of this initiative? That's a great question. And one that we have spent a lot of time uh, considering how to measure, you know, in the, the old version of the program uh, it was relatively simple because it was measured on how many people uh, were active how much content was being shared you know how many clicks that kind of stuff simple very simple metrics today because our, our ambitions have changed a little bit so too the the metrics need to change and our understanding of what actually good looks like you know in an ideal world, we would be focused on one metric, which is revenue when you generate it, right? But ultimately, that's why we're in business is to generate revenue. But one, that's not that simple. And two, if that number goes up or down, you need to understand why. And so that requires us to look at lots of other factors as well, while taking into account the fact that it's not that easy. 
to get a holistic picture. You know, LinkedIn in particular makes life very difficult for everybody. Um, you know, they're so tight with their API. And, you know, I'm sure you guys know that just as well as I do. And how do you measure the success? One thing we ended up with is we have a kind of a tool, a visual aid to help us. Um, because for us, it, you know, I mentioned it's long term. For us, it is about a journey. It's about putting our advocates on a journey to kind of influence, which doesn't mean we're expecting everybody to end up with, you know, half a million followers. But it's uh, it, really, we have built, we call it a maturity grid. It's basically a scatter chart, effectively, where we're able to plot people's activity and see it over time. And it's about plotting really behaviors. So are they behaving in an influencer-like fashion. So that's looking at things like obviously network size, but then network growth, engagement rates, activity levels, you know, are they commenting on other people's content, stuff like that. It's, I think, you know, we have a pretty good way of understanding what, what the data is showing us now, but it's tough. And it, but I feel like it is a necessary evil to understand because there's no you can't just start posting and suddenly your network's going to grow. So it's being able to, for those community managers, to give them the tools they need, the insight they need to be able to tell somebody, well, uh, yes, you're publishing consistently, that's great, but your network's not growing. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, if you look at your activity, that's all you're doing is you're just posting content. You're not engaging with your audience. You're not responding to comments. You're not liking other people's content. You're not commenting on other people's content. So you're not being a good community member. And yes, when you've got kind of, when you've got scale, people to deal with, you can't expect everyone to just spend, you know, time going through everybody's LinkedIn profile feeds, for instance. So it's about giving them the metrics and be able to show. And I know that our advocates really appreciate this sort of visual aspect to it so that they can see literally this sort of journey for them going ideally, you know, up to the top right corner. So that, that's been really useful. And then, you know, otherwise, of course, it's, you know, well, how many people are active and understanding why those people aren't active, why have they not logged into the platform recently? Uh, why they're not sharing content, that kind of stuff. Maybe you could talk about what advice you would give other companies out there that are looking to scale their own employee advocacy program to a global level, or maybe you have three key recommendations that you could provide them so that they can implement something today. I would say the main thing is kind of what I said towards the beginning about segmenting. You know, if uh, you know if you have a sort of scale similar to us or, or greater, uh, if you talk about uh, rolling out a program for all of them, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a big mountain to climb. You know, advocacy is not easy because you are fundamentally dealing with with people and uh, emotions. But one thing about advocacy is that for some people, the idea of sharing content on LinkedIn is intimidating. Right. It's about that's putting yourself out there. It doesn't come naturally to some people to say, Hey, I'm an expert on this topic and uh, to, to, you know, it makes you vulnerable. Right. There, there is a very emotional element to all of this. And then so to try and treat all your employees as, as one isn't practical or, or possible. The more that you can segment. And it's one thing we really learned is about core, really key things about picking the people that you you focus on and that you invest in because somebody can be a great candidate on paper, but that doesn't mean that they're going to do it. And that no end of emails and conference calls and, you know, training sessions or whatever will make them do that. We'll make them sacrifice a bit of their time every day to, to spend on this. They, they just won't. And so it's pick your people 
carefully, focus on the low-hanging fruit. Uh, I'm not sure actually if that's the right expression in this context, but you know, start. I mean, I would start with leaders. Start with leadership because that that for us has been a big thing. Is that once you see your leadership is active, then you know they have they are highly visible uh, within the company. Of course, that attracts more people. Say, oh, that looks good. I think I would do that too. And and then uh, after that, it's about okay, what are your priority areas, and whether that's in particular topics or particular roles. You know, do you want to focus on sales, social selling? Is it about uh, talent acquisition, and so on? With all of this, it's the community approach. I think is the one that works best. So. You you focus on a community of people with a community manager is there to be a cheerleader for the program, to answer questions, share great content and get people in, enthused about it and be able to, to talk about successes. Okay, so segment, pick your people, focus on the low hanging fruit or start with leadership and I'll go with community approach. Would you agree with that? <laughs> That sounds good to me. Of course, there is content as well. You know, content is king, of course. But I would say, actually, people is king, really, in, in an advocacy conversation. Of course, they have to have good content to share. Got it. Great. Well, Joe, thank you so much. We've actually arrived at pretty much the end of our podcast, but I have one final question that I enjoy asking all of our guest experts of Masters of Comms. Would you mind sharing with us the title of a book or a film that it is significant impact on you and why? That's a good question. I think the thing that springs to mind is uh, it's a TV show from the UK from the 80s called The Young Ones. It was a very short run show. I think they only had uh, two seasons, but uh, something that I watched when I was young, obviously very young in the 80s, and it, it it really did have a big impact on me. In fact, it was a family favorite. And the reason I think anybody who's, who's seen it, especially who saw it back then, would probably under, understand why. It's anarchic. It's a very anarchic show. It was kind of quite groundbreaking at the time, sort of an alternative to the sort of nicey-nicey sitcom. And it, it just, that kind of anarchy, and I'm not saying I'm an anarchist today by, by any means, but it was that kind of partly just the humor of it. I'm British, so we love toilet humor, uh, absolutely. But also it just, it was just very off the wall, but it, and it gave you, it was very liberating really, the idea that anything could happen and, you know, they would break the fourth wall and, and uh, there was a love of absurdity, things like that. And it, it, it's apart from just a, a source of endless quotes that, uh, that my family loved to, to quote uh, on the WhatsApp group uh, today, but also just, yeah, that feeling of freedom, I think it, it has informed me and certainly informed my uh, sense of humor. So the feeling of freedom from the young ones uh, in the 80s, that is great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Joe. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. This has been Masters of Comms, the podcast for transformative communication techniques straight from the pros. Follow us here to get the next episode. See you soon.